0: Today is July 27th, 2016. Wednesday night. Uh, the title of tonight's message is Fog of War. Fog of War. Um, I- I'm gonna give you a definition because uh, you know most of you may know what that means, but I found that sometimes various sayings, is it too high? I was just that. Is that better? Hey man. There we go. More clear. Clarity. We need clarity here. Um, fog of war. Uh, I just looked up this simple definition. It is, as defined by the Wikipedia, it is the uncertainty in situational awareness experienced by participants in military operations. Enough wars have been fought in mankind that as people are going along, they realize that they was a certain they have literally labeled it this over the years. It first came about in about the 1800s when someone tried to put a title on it. Like you're out there, you're on the battlefield, things are going on, and there's something about a disorientation, uh, a lack of clarity that comes while you're battling. And so what we're going to talk about tonight is how to get out of a fog of war. Amen? The term seeks to capture the uncertainty regarding... Listen to this. Regarding one's own capability, their adversary's capability and the adversary's intent during an engagement operation, campaign, or war. You're not quite sure if you've got what it takes or what you're doing. You're not sure what the enemy can do and what the enemy wants to do. It creates a fog that goes around. I've just got to tell you guys that sometimes in my life there's a fog. It's not bad. I'm not saying that there's any sin. You're just going, I'm not quite sure what I'm supposed to be doing right now. I know that God has something for me, but I don't know what it is right now. Have anybody, has anybody ever felt that way? Anybody ever felt that way recently? Like today? Okay, <laughs> just checking, right? Let's turn to Exodus chapter 14. The reason I want to talk about this today is because one of the things that inadvertently happens during a war is you can have something called friendly fire. When you have too much fog of war that goes on, you can start attacking people And it not be the right people to attack. You could be attacking those that are on your side. Right? And so let's take a look at Exodus chapter 14. Say there when you're there. There. And we're going to start in verse 13. So this is as the children of Israel are about to cross the Red Sea. They've been complaining where there are not enough graves in Egypt... Here we are, we've left. What are you going to do? You're just going to kill us out here in the desert? Can't believe you, Moses. Moses has a great answer here in verse 13. Moses answered the people, Do not be afraid. Everybody say, don't be afraid. afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance that the Lord will bring you today. Man, what a great leader. Trying to call out, give a clear call to his people and say, Hey, would you calm down? Don't be afraid. Because all the words that I hear coming out of your mouth are fear. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance that the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. Come on, how many of you guys want the Lord to fight for you? I do. I don't even want to try. At this point, I'm like, yes, amen. Go ahead and do it, Lord. You only need to be still. Be still in your actions. Be still in your heart. Be still in your mind. To me, when I think of the term fog of war, you know what I think of mostly? Is in my mind, things get foggy. Do you ever come across a situation and you're just like, I, I, God, I don't even know how to start to attack this. But then you talk to somebody and they're like, and within 30 seconds you went, God, I feel silly now. It, it seems so much, I don't understand why it's clear when I talk to JJ about it. Because when I was in my house, I was fretting about it for hours. And then I talked to one brother or sister in the Lord and it seems to clarify it. Well, that's part of the fog of war. That's part of what we have to battle against. Look in verse 15. Then the Lord said to Moses, (laughs) I love the Bible. Then the Lord said to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? (laughs) Lord, is this a rhetorical question? We just took our millions of people and we left Egypt. And Pharaoh had a moment and was like, Wait, wait a minute. What am I doing? Why am I letting all my free slave labor go? I'm going to go get them back. Um, Lord, in case you haven't noticed, in front of us is the Red Sea. We can't go forward. And behind us are the enemies of God's people on chariots and horses. And uh, we're kind of in the middle. I I think the Lord does this to us too, though. I think He says, Why are you crying out to me? Um I don't always know how to answer that question, though. He said, I know exactly where you are. I've led you to that spot. You don't think that I know where you are? Why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. (laughs) In in some translations, that word, instead of move on, that word is forward. Tell the Israelites to move forward. (laughs) Um, Yes, Lord, uh, you're the great king of all the universe, and um, there's no forward for us to go. We, we don't see a pathway that's right here in front of us. We're looking at water, thus us crying out to you. I, I don't think God has missed any detail of what's going on here. Why are you crying out to me? Hey, um, go ahead and go forward. Look, look at what it continues to say in verse 16. Raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water. Let me encourage you guys... Um, Let me finish this first. To divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. I know many of you know this. You do understand that if you've got an ocean in front of you, a sea in front of you, even when God pulls back the water, there's still a problem, right? The topography of a sea would indicate that you've got something, but there's going to be some major drop-offs in there somewhere. God said, I've, I've, I've built a roadway for you through here. I've actually so had this planned that before, during the foundations of the world, you know what I did? I put a roadway right across the Red Sea. There are pictures that you can see of men out in the shipping lanes standing. They have scuba gear, but then you see them standing out in the middle of the Red Sea at about waist level in the water. Hey, guys. Because there are remnants of a land bridge right across the Red Sea. No wonder the Lord said, Why are you crying out to me? Why are you so nervous? Because um, we don't see it. <laughs> see, here's the problem. We're kind of in a fog, Lord. We've got these obstacles that we're looking at from the, on the front and the rear. We don't have anywhere else to go. And we need to cry out to you because um, we're in a fog. And He says, Don't worry about that. You go forward. And let me tell you how. So that even your children, even your, your elderly, even the animals, even your little puppy dog, going to be able to walk right across. You're going to be fine. I've got you all taken care of, I promise. So sometimes we have to fight this fog of fear that comes about. Verse 17, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them. God is laying it out for us, folks. And this is obviously one of the most incredible events in human history. Just because we're familiar with it, this is a big deal. A whole nation of people That miracles are required of them every day for them to get where they need to go. And the Lord is providing it for them. Turn to 1 Kings chapter 3. 1 Kings chapter 3. (laughs) Don't, Don't you know? Haven't you felt like the Egyptians though before? When was the last time you felt like the Egyptians in this? Um, Lord, apparently I can't go forward. Um, it's too late for me to go backward. There's no other way. And yet I feel you urging me in my spirit to go forward. No? Nobody? Okay. Just me. Right. Okay. I need, I need your help. I need y'all to be with me tonight. Amen. Amen. I, I don't want you to be in a fog tonight even if you feel like you're in a fog, even if you are in a fog, I want you to be with me because this is what the Lord has for us tonight. Amen? Amen. So when you're there, and you're like, I know that I'm supposed to be going forward, but I don't even see how. We have a great God who's already got the preparation so far in advance for you. It's going to blow your mind. So what you need to do is not be afraid, not cry out and impugn the Lord's character by saying, I've got it figured out. I'm stuck in the, I, I can't go forward and I can't go backwards. Must mean you're trying to kill me, Lord. Surely everything that you have done has led me to this point, so I can just lay down and die. It's ridiculous when we say it out loud, isn't it? Yeah. How many ridiculous things are you and I saying though in our hearts and in our minds? Lord, I know that you promised that, but I just don't see it. Hey, Amen. Maybe it's because you're in a fog, so calm down. Let's, let's just, just simmer down now. First Kings chapter 3. And let's start in verse 7. <clears throat> um, let's start in verse 6. Solomon answered, You have shown great kindness to your servant my father David, because he was faithful to you and righteous and upright in heart. Wow. You have continued this great kindness to him and have given him a son to sit on his throne this very day. Verse 7, Now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David. But I am only a little child and do not know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the people you have chosen, a great people too numerous to count or to number. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between what is right and what is wrong. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? This is Solomon after the Lord has said, Ask me whatever you want. Ask me whatever you want. And what Solomon knew is, Hey, if I don't get the Lord's help here, I'm going to have this fog in being able to lead your people. <laughs> Sounds easy enough to be able to go, Hey, Lord, I just need to know what's right and what's wrong. But what Solomon asked for is a discerning heart. Not a wicked heart, not a heart that's deceived, but a discerning heart. Lord, would you give me a discerning heart so I know what we need to do, if we need to go to the right or to the left, if something is is righteous or something is not? Because sometimes it's a little confusing. It shouldn't be, granted. I should be able to come in and tell this, but sometimes I can't. I don't know if this is the right path. And what the Lord is trying to say is, hey, let me help you clear up the fog. Why don't you call out to me, just like Moses did. Why don't you call out to me so that I can clarify things to you. Look at verse 10. The Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this. (laughs) Um, I remember growing up in church and seeing certain scriptures and just having simple enough faith that I just wanted to do exactly what the scriptures said. Uh, let me give you an example. One that says, "Don't sit your place in the highest seat of honor at a banquet." Not, not that I attend many banquets, mind you, but I would always go. Let me find the farthest place from the head table that I can be. I, it just because the, the the parable goes, "Hey, lest someone more important comes and you have to be removed and embarrassed and, and sit down at a lower place in the in the in the feast." So I would literally, like, it was just a practical thing. I saw it and I wanted to do it. Like, I understand, Lord, that this is not even the same culture. But I want to show you. I I just want to do these simple things. If we were ever out in the woods, which we would be a lot as a kid, uh, you know, got a machete in one hand and just running through the woods all day because that's what we did before video games and such, back in the dark ages. I would always, when I'd find a little uh, creek or a river or something, I'd always, when when I'd drink from the river... I wanted to be like Gideon, and so I never would put my face down in the water. I'd pull the water up to my mouth, and whatever little, you know, machete I had, I was like There's nobody there. What are you doing, man? I read the Bible. <laughs> I think things like that it's silly. There was no adversary. I wasn't standing before the Lord trying to be judged about whether I was going to go and fight a battle. But you know what I was doing? It was just small little acts of faith to say, Lord, whenever I can see it in your word, I don't even want to neglect the little things. It's silly, right? I was just trying to show the Lord a pure, joyful heart before him. This is the way I'm going to do it. I remember drinking from water fountains at school and thinking like, how... I don't know how to do this. <laughs> I don't know how to do this and, and stand like Gideon, so I guess I'll just have to drink from the water fountain, right? Hey, let's, let's be encouraged tonight. Sometimes when you're in the fog of things, let's not forget the simple, the simple things that the Lord has already instructed you to do. Yeah. Let's be joyful about what He's already given you. Lord, I don't know, but here I am in faith, standing before You going, Lord, I want to please You. That's my heart's desire. I need Your clarity and until you speak, I don't quite know what to do. So I, I, I just want to show you that I love you by, by acting even on the simple things. The Lord was pleased. I think the Lord was pleased with even my silliness as a young person, as a nine-year-old, as a ten-year-old. My fantasies, my thought process, my daydreams were about trying to fulfill the will of the Lord and whatever. Like the Lord would ask a nine-year-old to go and be in the battle against 135,000 I don't know. I, I was ready in case he did ask me. Right? <laughs> the Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this, and you can and you know the rest of that story. Let's turn to Second Chronicles chapter twenty. Second Chronicles chapter twenty, and we're going to start in verse one. We're going to go quickly through the story of Jehoshaphat. King Jehoshaphat, by the way, his name means the Lord Judges. What's one thing that you never want a judge to to be? You never want a judge to be foggy about anything. You're expecting the judge to have clarity, to be able to use the word, in our case, and be able to decipher between thought, between spirit and soul, thought and intent of your heart. Verse 1, after this, the Moabites and the Ammonites, with some of the Munites, came to make war on Jehoshaphat. Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army is coming against you from Edom, from the other side of the sea. It is already in Hazazon Tamar, that is, in Gedi. Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast for all of Judah. How do you do when something hits you out of the blue? We were expecting one thing, and... Wow, something changed quickly. A job changes status very quickly. Your house changes status. Your health changes status. How do we do in the fog of something that happens that we weren't expecting? It's one thing when you know a trip is coming. You fall into a good rhythm. You can get ready. When you don't know things are happening, how do you do there in inquiring of the Lord and getting out of the fog? Of of assessing what's going on and properly carrying out God's will. Take a look at verse... 6 says this. This is Jehoshaphat as he stood in front of the assembly. O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. Hmm. Power and might are in your hand and no one can withstand you. Amen. It's good to remind ourselves of God's power. When we come together and worship collectively, you know what we're trying to do? is say, hey, you may have had a really tough day. Hey, this week may have been wonderful or it may have been horrible. You may have been successful in your pursuits of the Lord or you may have failed on every turn. You know what we do? We're coming together and go, hey, let's focus on who He is. Let's remind ourselves and say, great are you, Lord. Lord, you are the one that gives us the breath which we are using to now sing to you. It is a refocus. It is a way to kind of realign what's going on. Verse 7, O oh, uh, oh our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? Wow. They have lived in it and built, it in a, built in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, If calamity comes upon us, whether the sword of judgment or plague or famine, we will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name, and we will cry out to you in our distress, and you will hear us and you will save us. Thank God for people like Jehoshaphat in this case. Hey, we're going to run to the very place where the Lord is and we're going to call out to God and He's going to hear us and save us. But now, here are men from Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, whose territory you would not allow Israel to invade when they came from Egypt, so they turned away from them and did not destroy them. See how they are repaying us by coming to drive us out of the possession you gave us as an inheritance? Um can I encourage you that as believers that we're supposed to reflect what God feels about things? We're supposed to reflect what God feels. Do you hear Jehoshaphat here? He's starting to get a little bit fired up. Hey, are you, do you see how these people are repaying us, Lord? That's good. It is a good thing. For some of us, we need to get fired up about what's going on in our homes. Some of us, we need to, get, we need to have a, a wake-up call. It's like you're in a fog and we can't see and you've got to realize, hey, you're still in the battle. It's a fog of war. If you start daydreaming there in the fog because it's nice and it's kind of cozy right here. Yeah, but you've got brothers just past where you can see that need you to stand up and fight for your ground and fight for your family. We've got to come awake in our souls and say, hey, I need to, I need to wake up and say, I can't stay in this fog forever. I had the misconception for a long time in my life that if I was going to be overly emotional, it was a bad thing. That's me personally. I thought that if I could control my emotions enough, I could set all the world, set it right. What a a silly thing to think, right? In my home growing up, there were bursts of anger and loudness and rage all over. So I figured my response to that was not to emulate it. It was to do the opposite of it. So if I'm controlled, then I'll keep my parents from getting a divorce. I'll keep everybody happy. If I work hard to be the 4.0 kid, the nerd boy in school, maybe I can just smooth out like the whole universe. What a silly thought. What a fog that I was in. I reasoned in myself the wrong thing. It's taken me a long time to even not to think that, much less do something different. Maybe, maybe if I'm just neat and tidy enough, it'll please the Lord. Maybe if I reflect exactly what God is feeling, I will please the Lord. If He's mad, I should be flaming mad. I should be so hot at somebody. Why? If that's His, if that's his perspective, that should be my perspective. If he's pleased with somebody, I too should be pleased with someone. What about you? What about you? Are you reflecting the Lord well? Are you reflecting His intensity? Do we have a different intensity level that the Lord has about something? Are we laying back on something that God just... This is part of the thing He's saying, no, you got to go forward. No, you got to go forward. No, you got to go forward. What are you doing waiting? Well... We have to properly, and maybe not even reflect, maybe that's not the right word. Maybe we have to emulate Him. Maybe we have to be so connected and intimate with our Father that when He feels it, I feel it. Maybe it's not a me reflecting His glory. No, I want to feel what He feels. I want to see what He sees. When He's mad, I want to be mad. Is that your life? Can you reflect that? How well are you doing at reflecting God? See how they're repaying us by coming to drive us out of the possession that you gave us as an inheritance? I know we did the swords and shovels message a while back about fighting for our families. problem with swords and shovels is you can't stop fighting for your family. You can't stop fighting for what the Lord has because you're in a battle. So what happens if you stop? You start losing ground. The enemy starts encroaching on your territory and you lose ground. Here, Jehoshaphat is saying, Lord, do you see, you see what they're doing to us? Do you see what's going on? Verse 12, O oh, our God, will you not judge them? <laughs> His name means the Lord will judge. That's funny. For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. Listen to this next, next sentence. I love it. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. There are days, Chris, i got to be honest, I have to say this. not exactly sure what to do, Lord, but I'm going to keep my eyes on You. I know that You'll tell me. I know that when God conceals something, it's to His glory, but when we search it out, we show the glory of a king. I'm going to go after this thing. Lord, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on You. Look down in verse 14. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jahaziel, son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jael, the son of Mataniah, a Levite, and descendants of Asaph. He stood in the assembly. Verse 15, he said, listen, King Jehoshaphat. So what happened? King Jehoshaphat gets in front of everybody and prays to the Lord. You know what happens? Somebody has a word of prophecy. Oh, this is the Older Testament. Yep, sure is. He said, listen, King Jehoshaphat. And all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours. Everybody say, the battle's, the battle's not mine. And yet, you're in the midst of the battle. The battle's not yours, but it's God's. Tomorrow, march down against them. They will be climbing up by the pass of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the gorge in the desert of Jeruel. You will not have to fight this battle. Take up your positions, stand firm, and see the deliverance the Lord will give you. Come on, man. It doesn't it doesn't say that they got to go home and lay down on their bed. They were still in battle gear with swords and shields out there and he said, "Take your positions." Wait, I thought you said that it wasn't going to be our I thought that you said you were going to do the battle. Yes, and you still have to take your positions. What happens if they don't take positions? They don't see the hand of the Lord move. Take your positions, stand firm, and see the deliverance the Lord will give you. Take your positions, stand firm, and then you get to watch what God is doing in your life. You get to be encouraged, and you're like, Whoa! And an incredible victory happens down to a man. They utterly defeat them. In this battle. Look at verse 22. As they began to sing in praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir who were invading Judah and they were defeated. Who set the ambushes? Come on, I love that. The Lord will set traps for the people who are trying to destroy you. If you'll but take your position, stand firm, and watch for His deliverance. The men of Ammon and Moab rose up against the men from Mount Seir to destroy and annihilate them. After they finished slaughtering the men from Seir, they helped to destroy one another. God's people are just watching. Hey man, we win. 2 <laughs> Chronicles chapter 32. Had to give you a bonus one. We already did law, prophets, and writing here, but wanted to give you a bonus. 2 Corinthians chapter 32. And uh, let's start in verse 6. This is King Hezekiah getting attacked by the king of Assyria, Sennacherib. Verse 6. He appointed military officers over the people and assembled them before him in the square at the city gate and encouraged them with these words. There's something about these leaders calling out to all the people. They're engaging in battle. A fog is settling in on all of them, and so the leader says, Hey, hey guys, be strong and courageous. Rock Kazakh. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of the king of Assyria, and the vast army with him. For there is a greater power with us than with him. With him is only the arm of flesh. But with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. Come on. Hezekiah is refocusing the people to say, hey, you've been focusing on the wrong thing. You know how many at least that Shinnasherub had in his army? 185,000 people. At least. 185,000 people in an army coming against you? That could be kind of intimidating. Hezekiah says, "Hey, you don't even worry about that. They've got they've got they've got an army. This is true. They've got an arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God. Greater is He that's with us than this with them. Take a look at verse. Uh, let's see. No, let's, let's, let's finish verse eight. With him is the is only the arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. And the people gained confidence." Everybody say, gain confidence. gain confidence. From what Hezekiah, the king of Judah, said. Look down in verse 16. Sheriff's officers spoke further against the Lord and against his servant, Hezekiah. The king also wrote letters insulting the Lord. <laughs> Let me take time to get out the quill and write a letter. Right. Not only am I just throwing these things out there randomly, I'm actually taking time. I'm doing a media blitz to make sure that everyone knows that you guys are ridiculous. They were saying, Just as the gods of the peoples of the other lands did not rescue their people from My hand, so the God of Hezekiah will not rescue His people from My hand. Hezekiah, uh, I'm I'm sorry, uh, Sinnesherib was a bad dude. Israel wasn't the first place that he was trying to go and conquer. He had done this before. Their peoples had prayed to their gods before. Verse 18, then they called out in Hebrew. Sennacherib's men starts calling out in the language of God's people to the people of Jerusalem who were on the wall to terrify them. There are people who will be able to speak the same language that we can. They'll have the same vernacular. They'll have some of the same terms. And they will speak to you as you are standing on the wall just to try to intimidate you. Just to try to make you fearful in order that they can capture the city. Verse 19, They spoke about the God of Jerusalem as they did about the gods of the other peoples of the world, the work of men's hands. King Hezekiah and the prophet Isaiah, son of Amos, cried out in prayer to heaven about this. And the Lord sent an angel, an angel, uno, one. Um, Lord, this is a lot of people. Perhaps you'd want to send a whole fleet, armada, contingency cohort of angels here now for us yeah he just sent an angel oh but what did the angel do he annihilated all the fighting men and the leaders and the officers in the camp of the assyrian assyrian king so the king withdrew to his own land in disgrace oh, yeah you did and when he went into the temple of his god some of his sons cut him down with the sword one angel, in the other accounts, in Kings, it, t- it gives you the number that it was 185,000 men. <laughs> one angel, folks. When Jesus is, is, is there and he's saying, hey, I could call down a legion of angels. You, you don't think that I'm on this cross because you guys have overpowered me. If one angel could do something like this for God's people, come on, guys, that should encourage us. Whatever your struggle that you're going through, whatever the fog is, literally God sends one angel and it's completely taken care of. But you can't give way to fear. You've got to take your places. You've got to, we've got to stay in the battle. I think more Christians lose the battles just because they, A, they forget they're in a battle, and B, they never actually look to get out of the fog that they're in. They stay circling the same mountain for all of their life. They want to keep learning the same lessons that they've always learned. But I need you to make me happy about the same stuff that I've always done. I think that that's part of my definition for a denomination. Pick whichever one you want. I think they set such clear boundaries about what they think God is and, and what they think He'll do. And then we just want to stay inside the boundaries. We want to gate off what God can do. But I want you to keep doing it and entertaining me about the same stuff that I already know. It's my opinion. Because you're trying to define God. You're trying to limit Him. And you don't want to go outside of that. You don't want to go outside of what you've already determined that God is. That's why you put a denominational name on the, on the front marquee. It's so people look at it and go, Oh, I know what you believe already. I can agree to that. Of course, now churches are taking off the denominational names because it's better marketing when you don't put the name so, people can maybe like your church even if they don't quite know what you believe. But this is what happens. Hey, but what about us? We've got a God who can send an angel. <laughs> Not only that, he can give you the authority to do exactly what he's telling you to do. If someone's sick, we're going to call on the elders and you can lay hands on them and they'll get, they'll get healed. He's given us that authority. He's given us the authority to say, Lord, what is it that you're doing? I don't have to be afraid. People can try to speak my own language and try to make me afraid, and I'm not going to. I'm going to let that fog dissipate, and I'm going to hear your voice, and I'm going to do what you say. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. 1 Corinthians 14. Let's start in verse 7. seven, first Corinthians fourteen, seven. Is everybody there? It says, even in the case of a lifeless of lifeless things that make sounds, such as a flute or harp, how will anyone know what tune is being played unless there is distinction in the notes? Again, if the trumpet does not sound a clear call, who will get ready for battle? We did a little studying on the silver trumpets in, on Monday night. It, I'm not going to get off into music nerd land here. I'm going to try not to. Do you know what causes an instrument to sound different than another instrument? There's a few things. One, what the instrument is actually made of, the material that it's made of, right? But I can have a uh, saxophone play the same note as a trumpet, the exact same frequency, the exact same pitch. But you know what? Uh, I can close my eyes and I can tell the difference between the note that sounds from a saxophone and a trumpet. It's because of (laughs) the physics behind it say that the, the vibrations of that instrument, they vibrate differently in both instruments it will accent some of the different things in one and mute it in others. And those differences in vibration of how it's vibrating, of how it's resonating within the instrument causes it to have a distinct sound even if it's saying the same note. Bible here is encouraging us. I'm going to take us and make us the trumpet for a minute. How, how's, how is your life giving a clear call? What we're made of, what we amplify, or what we mute in our lives is what gives us the voice and the sound that we have. It is what allows a trumpet to sound like a trumpet. If I have any physics nerds, you can come with me after and I'll explain that a lot deeper but why a clarinet sounds different than a flute that sounds different than a trumpet is what it's made of and how it resonates, either amplifying or muting the very frequencies that are within it. You're designed to have a clear call. My call is going to sound a bit distinct from Pastor Matt's that will sound a bit distinct from Pastor Eric's, that will sound a bit distinct from Frank's, that will sound a bit distinct from Chris, even when we're all saying the same thing. The point isn't that we're all trying to... We can be in unison. We can all be saying the exact same thing. And you know what it does? It adds a color. It adds vibrancy to what the message is. It adds volume and clarity when we're all able to say the same thing that comes from the Word of God and have our own sound. Have our own timbre is what it's called. The quality of that sound of each instrument. If the trumpet doesn't give a clear call, how, how can we all get mobilized to go in the same direction? In Numbers 10, the trumpets were used to either call people together or to give them instructions about the battle. Turn to Exodus chapter 28. Okay. Exodus 28. I'm going to start in verse 29. Exodus 28, 29. Say there when you're there. Verse 29 says, Whenever Aaron enters the holy place, he will bear the names of the Son of Israel over his heart on the breastpiece of decision as a continuing memorial before the Lord. Also put the Urim and the Thummim in the breastpiece so that they may be over Aaron's heart whenever he enters the presence of the Lord. Justin spoke on this a few weeks ago. The Urim and the Thummim. The fire and the water, Right? Thus, Aaron will always bear the means of making decisions for the Israelites over his heart. When we're foggy, it causes us to have trouble making decisions. We don't have enough clarity. This says, if we've got the things of the Lord and they're close to our heart, you know what it's going to do? It's going to give us the ability to make the decisions that God is asking us to make. It's going to give us clarity. There's nothing like having clarity. There's nothing like it. Let's go to Psalm 42. Psalm 42. Okay, we've got two that are there. All right. Psalm 42, verse 1. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants. For you, oh God, Do you hear the desperation in that? There's a longing, there's a panting, there's a, a pursuit that's there. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night. <laughs> you ever felt that way? Just discouraged, just down. Can't seem to figure things out. While men say to me, all day long, where's your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I used to go with the multitude, leading the procession to the house of God with shouts of joy and thanksgiving among the festive throng. Why are you so downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise Him, my Savior and my God. These are from the sons of Korah. I love the practicality of the scripture. Why are you so downcast, O oh my soul? Hey, what, why are you in a funk? Why are you in a fog? Put your hope in God, for yet I will yet praise Him, my Savior, my God. My soul is downcast within me. Therefore I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from the Mount Mazar. Deep calls to deep. In the roar of the waterfalls, all your waves and breakers have swept over me. What's, what's the phrase? Deep waters do what? Oh, no, it's, it's, I said it wrong, huh? Still waters run deep. Sorry, that, that was an impossible thing for you to answer. Just seeing if you're paying attention or not. Still waters run deep, right? If you get enough depth in your life, the waters start to become, become still. What I heard from the word of prophecy that was given today, both the word in tongues and then the word and in the interpreted, was why are we not asking for the Lord to search us? It's Psalm 139 that says that. Search me, test me, know my, know my thoughts, Lord. Show me my inner ways. Lord, see if there be any wickedness within me. Lord, would you come, would you come and make sure that these, that these waters are starting to run deep so that they'll be still? Because deep, the deepness of His Spirit is calling to those deep places in us. Deep is calling out to deep. Verse 8, by, the, by day the Lord directs His love. At night His song is with me. A prayer to the, to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise Him, my Savior and my God. The psalmist here is going through the fog of discouragement and downcastness in their soul. Hey, wait, why am I doing this? I know that I can put my hope in God and He will revive my soul. I know that He'll do that. Turn to Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 25. To whom will you compare me? Or who is my equal?" says the Holy One. "Lift your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry hosts one by one and calls them each by name. Do you know how many stars that scientists think there are? <laughs> yeah, I don't either. <laughs> Billions. It says that our God hasn't each one of them named. and he knows us each by name and he's calling us forth as well turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 1 Corinthians chapter 1 let's start in verse 25 For the foolishness of God is wiser than man 's wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were influential, not many were of noble birth. It doesn't mean there were none. It just says that not many of you. God is not precluding these people, but what he's saying is... Really? Even if I call someone, let's just say of noble birth, birth, what I have to do is I have to take them and get them to a point where they understand their lowliness before me, before I can use them. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the strong. To shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are. Turn to Revelation chapter 19. If not many of us were wise when we, got, when we were called, not many of us were influential, not many of us were of noble birth, not many of us were strong. That should clear the fog about Him choosing us to start with. I am a perfect candidate for the Lord to have chosen. I am none of those good things. (laughs) I came from nothing. I am the right one. Yes, Lord. You're right. I am not wise or influential or strong. Amen. We talked about it on Sunday. David chose what kind of men men came around him? Those in debt, distress, and discouraged. That's the kind of people that God chooses. Those who are willing to say, of this world I have nothing to offer you. But because my God is with me, then I will stand. I will advance against this troop. I will leap over this wall. I will conquer exactly what God calls me to conquer because I have no delusions that it's about me anyway. Revelation chapter 19, verse 6. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rush- rushing waters, and like loud peals of thunder, shouting, Hallelujah! For our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad, and give Him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come, and His bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given to her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints. Then an angel said to me, Write, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, These are the true words of God. At this, I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, Do not do it. I am a fellow servant with you and with your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. Isn't that amazing? It's revelation. Not revelations. It's a singular revelation given to John. It's the book of Revelation. And he's here, and this he's so moved by things, he wants to bow down and worship the messenger. (laughs) Got, Got a little excited there. Got a little ahead of himself. No, 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 don't do that. Worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Come on now. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. Let's turn to Second Peter for our last scripture, I think. Second Peter chapter 1. And verse 3. 2 Peter 1:3 says this His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness through the, through these he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption of the world in the world caused by evil desires verse 5 For this very reason, make every effort. Everybody say every effort effort. to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self control. We're, We're at the end of our time here, but if you really look at this progression, let's just presume that God said exactly what He meant to say through His through His servants. Let's just presume. Let's just start with that, right? Even the order of what God does is important. Add to your faith, goodness. Add to your faith, actions that show. right? To goodness, knowledge. To knowledge, self-control. To self-control, perseverance. And to perseverance, godliness. (laughs) Isn't that what we're shooting for the whole time? Yes. Yes, it is. And to godliness, brotherly kindness. And to brotherly kindness, love. For if you possess these qualities, look at the next phrase, in increasing manner, in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But if anyone does not have them, he is nearsighted and blind and has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins. Verse 10. Therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. You need to have clarity in every area of your life. If you don't have clarity, then you're walking in a fog. You need to have the clear call, the clarion call of a mighty king to help you to find what that clarity needs to be so that you can make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things... You will never fall. That's an interesting statement, isn't it? He's telling us how to do it the right way. I've started saying it this way when we do marriage counseling or marriage enrichment. If if we do this thing, if you live as a husband and wife according to the scripture, it is impossible for you to get a divorce. It is impossible. Not possible for you to get a divorce. If you're both living by the Scripture, it has to work out. Here he's saying, if you do what I'm telling you, it has to work out. If you're working on these things in increasing measure, if you're not allowing there to be fogginess and lack of clarity, if you allow yourself not to daydream as far as our walk with the Lord is concerned. We're just kind of there, zoned out, spaced out, daydreaming, whatever you want to call it. That's not the definition of what our walk with the Lord is supposed to be. You can't just zone out. I I zone out during the day. I can zone out sometimes in the middle of a meeting. It goes on and on and on. I zone out. We're not allowed to zone out in our walk with the Lord. We need, to, we need to shake ourselves. We need to, we need to wake up and go, wait a minute. We can get to a place where we don't have to fall because we're doing exactly what God has told us to do. We can delight ourselves in Him and He gives us the desires of our heart which are <laughs> reflecting in His. For if you do these things, you will never fall and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Would you guys stand with me?